This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? I'm just saying it's possible. And I say it's not possible. Here's what I think happened. What's the matter with you guys? You're letting them slip through our fingers. Slip through our fingers? Are you his executioner? BFM 89.9, you are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Arvin. It is our Medeka-related throwback Tuesday today. And we've actually got a film that is as old as the independence of Malaya, uh, but also actually related to the film we're going to be talking about tomorrow. And that is Sidney Lumet's 12 Angry Men from 1957. So one of those um, stalwarts of cinema, right? Like people talk about 12 Angry Men as being uh, one of those must-watch movies of all time. I've never actually watched it before. And in fact, none of us have watched 12 Angry Men before. And I'm really glad that we had this opportunity to do it because um, it is such a fantastic watch. We did the perfect movie Supercut recently. And if I'd watched 12 Angry Men before that, I think I would put it forward as a perfect movie. Same, same. I think it's a perfect, perfect movie. Um, my, My only question is, or my biggest question is, how did a premise like this even get made? Because it shouldn't work, right? Like on paper, it sounds like a terrible idea as a pitch, like 12 members of a jury in one room talking for 93 minutes. Well, actually, you know what? Watching the trailer made me realize that they had no idea how to sell it because a trailer turns it into some kind of like, they were men turned into animals clawing at each other in the hot room. And I'm like, that's really not what this movie is. Well, yes and no, right? So I think it is the, it's a play on the notion of angry. This idea that they were really, so I thought that there would be a lot more yelling. I thought that there would be a lot more sort of maybe not clawing but, but certainly you know some degree of the action the smell of violence in the air like no the trailer was very OTT <laughs> <laughs> so I think Arvin to your point about how it works it's very theatrical and I feel as if we, we're seeing more and more that when done really well um, certain tenets of theatricality work very well in a filmic sense, right? If you just drop people straight into an opening with no explanation, midway through the action, um, if you situate if you have strong characters, if you situate the story among those strong characters and let them just do stuff and be, um, that's what Twelve Angry Men does. No, I agree. Um, it feels like a play, right? Um, it Very feels much. like yeah. you're watching a script. Uh, and also primarily because the whole thing is set in one room for the bulk of the movie. Um, and it feels like a really good play where every actor, uh, the 12 Angry Men, um, have a chance to shine. They each have a bit, a little bit of a monologue. The structure of it is beautiful. Um I, I don't know. I love this so much. I can imagine revisiting it over and over again. Oh, the rewatchability is so high for this one. Um, it actually reminded me of Clue, 
So Clue is another movie that I could just drop in at like any time. And because I love the characters so much, I could just watch it like halfway, you know, like at the halfway point or from the beginning. Uh, this is one of those movies. It's, um, it's so engaging. It's so good. It's never, ever, ever boring, which I think is the movie's uh, high point. It never, ever stalls for anything. It's, it's amazing how it's a movie that was made in 1957. And it's one of the best things I've seen this year in 2023. Like it's one of the most interesting engaging movies I've seen all year. I really loved it. I loved it so much that I messaged you both in a intense flurry of I need to tell people how much I love it. So the the premise of 12 Angry Men, if you're not familiar, as mentioned, directed by Sidney Lumet, uh, written or rather the screenplay is written by Reginald Rose. And it's as it sounds, it's a very simple premise. There are 12 jurors. They've just heard a case. You haven't heard the case. It's not a courtroom drama. Um, and the case has been done being argued. They are now adjourned to the jury room and they have to decide what's going to happen in this case of murder of a young guy stabbing his father to death, ostensibly. And so... Because it's a murder trial, because it's the death penalty at the end of it, they are told that they need to reach a full consensus. It needs to be 12-0 no matter what. They take a vote and then they have to discuss what happens from there. And there's only one person at first who's a holdout. Yes. So that's the, the beginning point of this really interesting premise, right? Uh, one person against 11 others. Juror 8, played by Henry Fonda. Yes, who is, mm -hmm. oh, I'm sure we'll get to it, is amazing. Um, but I think the whole tension from this comes from the fact that you actually don't know, like you said, Lynn, what happened in the courtroom. You didn't hear the lawyers you do the hear, thing. Yeah, so you rely on the jurors' point of view, points of view, to tell us what happened. And each of them are arguing their version of why this person did it or as the case goes by, um, why he maybe didn't do it. And then there's a lot here, right? Their individual prejudices, um, the fact mm. that the, the boy in question comes from a um, what they perceive to be a, a sort of a lower class background. Well, they say slum. Yeah, so yeah. they keep calling, they keep referencing oh, people like this always do that. So there are lots of things that are unpacked in the course of this this um, discussion. I, I was told by a friend of mine that they actually use the movie in uh, MBA syllabus to teach negotiation and, and I completely get it because it's such a masterclass in how you win over people to your side of things. Win over is so true because... Uh, the thing is, right, you don't really know if the protagonist, the, the Henry Fonda character, um, whose name you only learn in like way, way, way at the end of the movie, um, if he's really a good guy or someone who's just manipulating the 11 other men in the room. Because the movie is about like reasonable doubt or the introduction of doubt to a very concrete situation, right? And I thought the logic of why the accused may not be guilty was also sometimes like very flimsy or quite flimsy. Um, you know, and and you can't you can't pit one against the other line. But but then like slowly with more and more doubt, and because he's so sure of himself, it sounds like it could make sense. But it's actually still very like theoretical and and far fetched. Um, and I love how brilliantly the movie plays into that, while still acknowledging that it sounds far fetched now for a guy who was you know accused of committing murder, and there's evidence that's stacked against him. You know what I love about the confidence with which Jura 8 or, or Henry Fonda's character, the way he approaches it, is that he's not necessarily arguing. And he says this repeatedly at the beginning. And I think for an audience that's used to hearing people say definitively that somebody is guilty or not guilty or and why and having these very strong principled stands, at first his argument, I think even for us, catches us off guard or at 
least it did for me because his argument is, yeah. well, it's possible that he's not guilty. I'm not sure that he isn't. I'm just saying that you can't send somebody to the chair um, without talking about it. I don't understand why we can't talk. And so he keeps making that argument. And I think for me, that was such an interesting way to approach the story because otherwise, you typically we're used to... I grew up like this kid. I knew him myself, you know, like like that kind of weird revelation or or something that um that reveals that he has this real deep abiding not guilty belief. But that's not what's happening here. He doesn't believe he's not guilty. He simply believes that they have to discuss it. No, he actually says repeatedly, I'm not sure myself. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, But um, like you said, Arvin, the point about reasonable doubt is really where he truly hangs his his argument. Um, If we don't know, is this enough to convict this person? And I think as the script goes on, the individual lenses through which each juror is also coming at it. For one person, it's, hey, I have other plans. Let's just decide so we can get out. For another person, it's, hey, you know, I like being the funny guy who makes the jokes. Um, For another one, it's their own uh, racism. For another one, it's their own personal uh, issues. There's one guy who's just distracted. Yes. There's one guy who just has no attention span. Yes. So... It's interesting because at the end, what he arrives or what he tries to get us, the audience, to understand is, are these issues or are these reasons or viewpoints that you're bringing to this table enough of a reason to send a man to his death? Where does our responsibility lie? And there's something so compelling about watching this play out. Oh, that hook is amazing because it happens in like the first 10 minutes of the movie, right? So they sit down and then they they take a vote and 11 people vote to have him convicted. And then like he, of course, the Henry Fonda character is like, no, you know, let's talk. And the whole, his logic for wanting to talk is simply like, we're going to sentence someone, Mm. you know, who's only 18. What's another hour, you know, or what's another hour and a half? And I think as like watching that as someone in the audience or as, as an audience member, you're like, yeah, you know, what's what's another hour of watching these people talk in this movie? It's it's meta, but it's also such a good opening argument. Like, what's what's another few minutes? You know, someone might die if we make the wrong decision. I can't wait to continue talking about this movie, uh, which we will pick up after the break. Let us know. Um, we're talking today about 1957's 12 Angry Men. Um, I'm laughing because we said we would do this for Medeka, which is frankly ridiculous. <laughs> there's, there's hardly a link. Anyways, um, let us know if you've watched it or if you plan to. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Books, figurines, movies. BFM. 89.9, The Business Station. Then what do you want? I just want to talk. Well, what's there to talk about? Eleven men in here think he's guilty. No one had to think about it twice except you. I want to ask you something. Do you believe his story? I don't know whether I believe it or not. Maybe I don't. So how come you vote not guilty? Well, there were 11 votes for guilty. It's not easy to raise my hand and send a boy off to die without talking about it first. BFM 89.9, you are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Arvin. We're throwing it back to Sidney Lumet's 12 Angry Men from 1957. It's a black and white film. It's just got more or less 12 people for the entire runtime just sitting and talking. Can we talk about why it's so good? Um, specifically why it's so interesting? Because we've talked, we've, we've been, you know, kind of very free with our superlatives. Uh, but 
I kept thinking, even as I couldn't stop watching, even as I didn't want to pick up my phone, I didn't want to leave the room, I didn't want to do anything else but finish the film, I was wondering why. And I think a part of it is the writing, a part of it is the acting, but also the way it's shot is actually really um, claustrophobic and dynamic. Absolutely. Um, For me, right, it felt like I was watching like five different movies at once. On the one hand, you feel like you're watching a murder mystery because you're you're watching a crime being dissected and unpacked before your eyes. On the other hand, it has the vibe of a courtroom drama, people arguing a case. Uh, there's also definitely almost like each man gets a movie to himself. You get to know each person and even through just a few lines, you begin to understand who they are. On top of it all, it's all couched in this sweltering room like the the heat um and the fact that as the movie progresses everyone's just kind of devolving and like removing their jackets and their ties and sweating um there's something about the way the movie is simultaneously in this small space but at the same time manages to make that room feel like it's the only thing that matters i love it this is such a surface level answer, but the whole movie is just a, a, a vibe. Um, <laughs> That's on the poster now. It's a vibe. Yeah, it's a vibe. Um, there's not a lot of music in the movie, but when the music did hit, um, I really started to imagine what it must have been like to watch this in the cinema in 1957. Um, that kind of vibe. It's it's a very cozy movie. Um, it also, it's shot in that IMAX um, aspect ratio. So that must have been nice to see on, on the big screen. It's squarish. Um, it looks very like warm and, and intimate because of the, the claustrophobia. But I, I don't know. It's just, there's something about old movies. I think, I think that was my biggest hook, but also the performances were so, so, so good. So all of that just worked perfectly together. Let's talk about the performances. We've mentioned Henry Fonda. Um, and before we get into the others, I think we can start with him because he is the heart and soul of the movie. He is the singular juror who decides that he needs to do something. Um, there's something about his demeanour as well that while we're talking about things like negotiation, right? There's something about his demeanour that is persuasive and calm and authoritative, but you can also see why it would rub others the wrong way. And I think the way he played it, a sort of gentle irritation at being the smartest person in the room, or at least the most inquisitive, I really enjoyed that. You know, it's interesting when you watch a movie that's so old that sometimes you don't recognise who the big star in the room is because it's been a while. Yes, I know. Right? I felt yeah. that way. I knew Henry Fonda was in the movie, but I actually initially couldn't tell which he was, which adds another layer because you go in and you're like, hmm, which is the guy that's the lead? So I watched this with my father, um, who is aware of who Henry ah. Fonda is, and therefore from the very first moment, ah, white shirt. I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> that was helpful. Um, no, but he's he's as the centre of the movie, but also as that guy that you can't quite crack. Because others also are like, actually, why are you doing this? Why does this matter so You're much to you? You're an architect. Yes. Get over yourself. Yeah. So I did like that. Um, I loved Lee, Lee Jacob, who in many ways is the opposite to Henry Fonda, um, the most strident um, opposer to all of this. Uh, there are some scenes between the two of them that are so tense and so well done. I, I just like the flow with all the characters. Like they are, they are these, these small touches, right? So there's a guy who coughs loudly while someone else is talking, <laughs> like, like interrupts him and or he blows his nose or something. And, and just the frustration that it causes the other members uh, in that room um, and the, the, the look on their faces and how they cannot stand him. It's so good. Um, I think this must have been a, a movie that 
that Aaron Sorkin watched and said, like, I want to do that and exactly that <laughs> yes. my whole career. I'm going to make a career out of this one movie. Uh, yes, I thought about that a lot because they're not really walking and talking. They're sitting and talking, but it certainly got that same vibe of making arguments of people being incredibly um, fluent and being incredibly articulate while also being believable, which is a real Sorkinism. Um, I actually thought that everybody in their own little moments, and they do get their moments in the spotlight in a variety of ways, uh, held their own. So Lee J. Cobb obviously has the showiest role. I think it is the showiest role, even with Henry Fonda in the mix. Yeah, it, and then Ed Begley gets that sort of monologue. Oh, uh, which was amazing. Mm, um, yeah. But I really enjoyed uh, both Jack Klugman as well as Joseph Sweeney in their respective roles as, you know, a guy who a guy who finds himself moved because of his background and and a deeply observant, intelligent person who's like, are y'all not listening because I'm old? <laughs> like, like, what is this? Why aren't you listening to me? Joseph Sweeney was great, actually. Um, He also gets a really nice bit where he gets to talk about aging in a very particular way, which I thought was beautifully done. And that's what I mean, right? Like, each of these guys could be a legitimate character in their own movies. And I think they would be interesting to watch. I just wanted to say, did your heart kind of stop each time they took a vote? Like, each time they took a vote, I was like, oh my God, who's going to flip now? What's going to happen? Um, And, and it's a amazing how something that shouldn't be that thrilling ends up being so thrilling every time they do it. That's what I mean. Like, none of this should be thrilling at all. Like, no one should want to watch any of this. Like, it's, uh, you know, it's it's so boring on on paper. Um, Also, this has nothing to do with the movie itself. But do you guys also do the thing where you watch uh, like a whole medley or the whole cast of characters and then you start to, you start to think about who could play them today? And there are so many like similarities, right? You see like this actor and you're like, oh, this person could uh, like this could be a John Hamm or this could be a, I, I don't know, some actor who's who's in movies now, you know? There is a two-bit there Don Draper a, yeah. in this movie, there is. actually. There is. Also, there is a remake. They made it in 1997 and it has people like Jack Lemmon and James Gandolfini and Tony Danza. But I don't think it did very well. It, it has good reviews from it. what I can see. I've never watched it. Um, actually, pretty stacked cars. Now I feel like I want to check it out just to see. So actually what I was struck by while watching this film, firstly, two things regarding the voting thing. Um, one, the, the part that got to me was the knowledge that they could just walk out and declare it hung. Yes. And I think that kind of hanging over the proceedings, the knowledge that all of this could come to nothing. And they say it outright at one point. Let's let him take his chances with 12 new guys. And you're like... And and then he'll definitely... Yes. Yeah, he'll because, definitely be found guilty. Because juror number eight won't be there. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is... I found myself marveling at the age of this movie. So I've mentioned 1957 a few times, and I do think it's relevant, not just because of the, the black and white and the, the say, see, you know, kind of ways about the dialogue, but also because 12 Angry Men can only take place in a time where only men could be jurors. So actually, you can't really update the movie today without having women It just wouldn't be the same. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because even though some tropes are worth updating because they feel outdated, I feel like part of the reason why this works so well is precisely because they are 12 men. Because they're talking in some ways about masculinity and fatherhood. And it's not the same 
to have these discussions no. with women. And the way they communicate, the the like the, the undertone of aggression or there's a certain undertone of like, ah, oh, this is just what life is. I want to go to my ball game. Like it's all very male tropes. And I think it feels like that doesn't need changing. And I think changing it would actually change what this movie feels like. And there's also all that uh, social commentary that you mentioned layered in that context, right? So it's a trial. Of course, they are talking about something, but then there's so much. There's so much about like like racism and social divide, and and uh, there's one guy who's an immigrant, um, another guy who who you know has views of toxic like masculinity. There's so much going on under the surface of this one movie, and I, I think it's it's so cool how they use 93 minutes to talk about one big thing. But then there's all these branches of like smaller things that are stemming out from each and every one of these characters that says something about the, I guess the you know the how the time was at that time. I need to be very clear on this. Also, I think that this movie could be watched today um, with immediate relevance to everything that we're facing. Everything yes. that they're talking about is exactly the conversations that we are still having. Um, the I wouldn't say you don't even need to update the dialogue. The dialogue is in many ways still how we speak. It's just there are a few little old-timey turns of phrases. They, they make reference to things that are in the 50s. But otherwise, the film doesn't need updating. It's deeply relevant even now. I completely agree. Um, and, and it's actually why I don't think I want to see a remake because I feel like the impulse to change it too much to reflect current times will actually take away a lot from what the story is. Yeah, it, I mean, if I recommended this, I would recommend the original. I, I had no idea there was a remake. Um, I would pitch it differently, though. I would be like, 11 people want someone to be uh, convicted and one person doesn't want it. I, I wouldn't tell them about the single location or 12 people just talking with one another for 93 minutes. I still don't know how to pitch that movie. It's a great film. Uh, it's one mm. of the best I've watched. I really loved it. We're talking today about 12 Angry Men, directed by Sidney Lumet, um, written by Reginald Rose and starring, among others, Henry Fonda, Lee Jacob, Ed Begley, Jack Warden, E.G. Marshall. Uh, let us know if you've watched it or if you plan to. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. You can tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.